Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Wednesday, June 14th, 2023. Arden Zwelling here with old Benny Baltimore, who is uh, covering the Blue Jays uh, in uh, in beautiful Baltimore. I want to say like the Windy City, Sin City, the city never sleeps. So I don't actually know what they... Charm City. Charm City? Is that what they call Baltimore? So. Yeah. Well... I would dispute that characterization personally, <laughs> but uh, that's neither here nor there. Thanks as always to our producers, Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. And thanks as always to you for listening. You can reach us at the letters at sportsnet.ca. Uh, so Ben, you just uh, witnessed the Baltimore Orioles bludgeon the Blue Jays 11 to six on Tuesday night. We're here recording this now Wednesday morning. And uh, I do periodically like to check in with you on just where you're at on the belief spectrum when it comes to the Baltimore Orioles and how good they actually are or whether they're complete frauds. Uh, So zero to 10 from fraud to legitimately good. Where are you residing right now when it comes to the Charm City Orioles? I would go eight. Like, I think they're good. Yeah, I think they're legit. You know, their pitching staff is not great. Like, let's be honest here. They are getting by, especially when it comes to their starting pitching. Obviously, the bullpen, once you get to Yunir Cano and Felix Batista, that's pretty elite. But, you know, the first six, seven innings of the ball game, it's okay. But I just, I really like their position player core. I think it's really good. Even on a night where Cedric Mullins is out, you know, they have a lot of hitters who can do some different things. Ryan Mountcastle out for this team as well. But, you know, with Gunnar Henderson hitting the way he is right now and really looking like an impact player, which he didn't for the first six weeks of the season, this team is pretty scary. Adley Rushman, we know he's an MVP candidate. We know he's one of the best catchers in baseball. Then, you know, you have just complimentary good players like an Adam Frazier or like a Ramon Urias or like a Austin Hayes who can do good things for, for a major league team. And yeah, I, I think that their position player group is definitely above average, definitely playoff caliber. They'd look a lot better with an ace in the starting rotation. I think that's pretty clear. But, you know, especially when you look at their prospect depth, I don't know where you'd land here on this one, Arden, but I'm going to go eight for Baltimore. That is uh, a little high. For me, I'm going to reserve judgment until the trade deadline, honestly, and see what they do there. Because if they cash in a, a bunch of their sort of prospect capital and, and make some some moves to bolster this lineup and, as you said, address some very clear needs to their starting pitching, then, yeah, I could be up there with an eight or even a nine, depending on what they do. But if they just have an incredibly unimpressive um, trade deadline as they had an incredibly unimpressive off season where uh you know ownership clearly did not want to invest in this roster and you know you heard ownership even coming out talking about oh we overachieved we're not gonna spend uh shouldn't you reward a group that overachieves like shouldn't you actually want to support that and funnel more resources towards your big league team if you are overachieving and if this group is actually telling you that they're better than you know projections would suggest that they are, but that's uh, that's neither here nor there. I, I would dispute the lineup a little bit. Because look, Henderson, Rutschman, Santander, like those guys are legit. Like I, no qualms there. But Ryan O'Hearn is, is the cleanup hitter on this team right now. Is he even average big leaguer? He's, he's got like a 170 WRC plus this year. So full credit to him, full credit to the Orioles for identifying whatever they identified in him or helping him reach this new level 
a pretty extensive track record, though, of him not being this at the big league level. I mean, Austin Hayes, who you mentioned, he's playing way above his head. Adam Frazier, the power numbers are just cannot be sustainable going forward for a guy who has never hit for power like this. I mean, even Aaron Hicks, who like watching the game on Tuesday, it's like a you know, Whit Merrifield deep fly ball to center field. And there's Aaron Hicks running it down. I was like, Aaron Hicks is on the Orioles. Oh my goodness. When did this happen? And then you look it up and since he's joined the Orioles, he's this phenomenal hitter and has totally resuscitated his season after being DFA'd by the Yankees. Does that continue? Is he going to continue being that good? I really do have some questions as to how sustainable their offense is. Yeah, and and I think all that's pretty fair. And I think at the same time, you know, we are talking about a team that right now, again, is without Cedric Mullins and and without Ryan Mountcastle. So some reinforcements coming. And then the guys in the minor leagues, like a Jordan Westberg, who they just simply don't have room for, where, you know, this guy has an OPS close to 1,000 at AAA, clearly ready for the majors, but they've got enough infielders who are producing to the point that they don't actually have to rush him up. So, you know... Point taken, like it's not it's not a totally stacked lineup. But I think when you look around baseball, at some of the teams, even some of the contending teams, even some teams like the Toronto Blue Jays, like you look at their lineups and, you know, after the first four or five, there's often a bit of a drop off. There's often like a weak spot toward the bottom of the lineup. And Baltimore has that, no doubt, once you get to the Mateos of the world. But I think there's enough damage at the top. And this is a team that can play some pretty good defense as well, you know, between Rushman and between Mateo and, and Urias as well. I think the position player group is is playoff caliber. No, that's fair. You know, you look at the Blue Jays, like 26 right now as we sit here today on June 14th. And that includes names like Lucas, Clement, White, Francis, Hatch. I mean, that's... 20%. That's like a fifth of your roster right there. So, uh yeah, yeah, it's no team around baseball is just purely stacked like 1 through 26 with league average or better players. It's just not the case for anyone. Um and look, like Gunnar Henderson is full value. So fun to watch play right now, and he's the same age as Elvis Martinez. And Relvis Martinez right now is like repeating double A for the Blue Jays. Like that's the biggest separator right now, I think, with the Orioles and the Blue Jays is that like the Orioles have more coming and they have more, as you mentioned, right on the cusp. And there's two ways that can go. Like that means those players can then be introduced to the big leagues and start impacting the Orioles at the big league level, or you can move them at the deadline and try to get controllable big leaguers um, somewhere else. Or, you know, even I doubt Baltimore would go like, the rental avenue but we'll see that's why i'm kind of i'm kind of holding out for the deadline um i've been like wondering a little bit i've been kicking around just how the way the al east is breaking right now might impact what the blue jays do at the deadline what their strategy will be going in to august 1st um like what do you think that being pretty much out of the conversation for winning the division title and really just competing for you hope to host a three-game wildcard series, but looking like most realistically going on the road for a three-game wildcard series. Like, How do you think that impacts how the Blue Jays approach August 1st? I think it definitely has an impact, for sure. Um, and you, know, you look at the separation between the Orioles and Blue Jays. As we record this, it's a six-game separation. So even if we think the Blue Jays are better, and I think the Blue Jays are better than Baltimore. Like I'm, you know, I think the Jays are legit, too, as a, as a contending team. I think they're better than the Orioles. But... Um, 
I don't think there's six games better, you know, <laughs> over the course of three and a half months. I really don't. So, you know, that means that it's going to be an uphill battle for the Blue Jays to pass Baltimore to say nothing of the Rays. I mean, the Rays continue winning. They are you know, obviously the favorites to win the American League East. And so that puts the Blue Jays in a position where their best chance is a wild card. Um, so you're most likely playing for a wild card berth. And who knows at that point? I mean, it's possible they make the wild card game again and flame out again. I was looking at it the other day. I just stumbled on this. The St. Louis Cardinals, three years in a row, they flamed out in the wild card series. And, you know, that's not good. It doesn't make me think anything positive about the St. Louis Cardinals. It also doesn't make me think that they're a doomed franchise with, you know, although, you know, they kind of look not good this year. But they're a franchise that does a lot of things well. Sometimes you flame out in the wild card. So, you know, to answer your question, you can't give up the whole farm if you're playing for a wild card series. And even if the Blue Chase did give up the whole farm, what's on there? You know, what's in the farm right now? You've got, and I know Addison Barger is rehabbing now, t- making his way back toward AAA. That's a good step for the Jays. We'll see what happens with Ricky Tiedemann. He's said to be progressing. But the farm system for a team like the Orioles is way deeper. You can do way more things. I just don't know that the Jays are in a position, even if they wanted to, to go out and totally transform their big league roster. And I mentioned Arelvis earlier, uh, Martinez, who started the year in like just unbelievable funk uh, in April and has come out of it in a pretty significant way. Like His numbers have just progressively gone better from May through June right now. What's most encouraging, I think, is the decrease in the strikeout rate, the increase in the walk rate. We know how important swing decisions are for him. The raw power is there. The guy hit 30 bombs in double A last year, set a record for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Uh, and he's repeating the level this year. And the biggest thing the Blue Jays wanted to see was refinement in the approach and the discipline at the plate, the pitches that he's swinging at, and the pitches that he's not swinging at, the selectivity. By the end of last year, Relvis Martinez was seeing more breaking balls than he was fastballs. That's very rare in the minor leagues. Uh, You just don't see that, but that's how much the book had gotten out on him. So that is certainly encouraging, and that helps his stock. But also, if you're the Blue Jays, you can't just be thinking about the final two months of 2023. You got to be thinking about, hey, we got to replace a Matt Chapman in 2024. Hey, yep. we got to think about like if Bo Bichette leaves in free agency, who's our shortstop going to be? Where are like five to six wins above replacement going to come from if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. leaves in free agency? Like you got to think about like having that the waves, quote unquote, right, that upward pressure on your roster continuing and continuing to graduate really good young players onto the big league club. Like, I don't think it's sustainable that the Blue Jays can just go out every offseason and spend uh, 20 million AAV on a starting pitcher every year. At some point, this club's going to need to develop some starting pitching. So that is an interesting element of the push-pull as well, because if the Blue Jays wanted to dip into the what prospects they do have to trade, as you were outlining, to try to supplement and, and make a push towards the, the back half of 2023, they have to be careful not to mortgage too much of, of a future, which is very important for this club as well. For sure. And, and, you know, I think they will make trades. I think they will. And, you know, you look back at what they did last year, Whit Merrifield, for example, and he's ended up being a really good pickup for this team, much, much better than what we probably would have guessed when they acquired him. And they gave up Samad Taylor and, and Max Castillo for him. Those are kind of org players. Um, Samad Taylor running a lot in the Royals minor league system right now. You know, good for him, but probably not a guy that the Jays are going to absolutely, you know, rue the day they traded him. 
Meanwhile, they have a very capable big leaguer in Whit Merrifield helping them win every night. So that's a good trade. Fair ball down the left field line for Merrifield. Guerrero's going to cruise home as Merrifield is into second with an RBI double. That's a trade that helps them or helped them last year is helping them this year. And that's the kind of move that you can make. But I tend to think that if you're going to make moves as this Blue Jays team, you probably are in a position where you have to wait a little bit longer because there just aren't that many teams that are totally out of the playoff picture at this point in time. You've got maybe the Rockies or Nationals or A's or Royals and just not much beyond that. So those teams that would be sellers, they have a lot of leverage because there are a lot of other teams that are in the playoff picture that would be buyers right now. So any team that's holding on to a pretty good player, they're going to want a lot, as they should. And I just don't think the Jays, with um, their farm system being the way it is, I don't think they're in a position to jump the market and to totally overwhelm, let's say, the Tigers for an Eduardo Rodriguez. And so to me, that says they are going to have to wait longer. They're going to have to wait this out until July 31st, until August 1st. Maybe at that point, there are deals. I'm sure the Jays will be active. I'm sure they'll make deals. But... I think until then, and we're still six weeks from that point, I think it's got to be internal. They have to figure this out for the most part with what they have. Yeah, the Tigers are a good shout as a seller. I think the White Sox will likely sell off. I think the Cubs will likely sell off. But you know what's interesting with like some of those teams is if you're the Blue Jays, are you looking for just a pure rental right now? If you're like, say, by the end of July, um basically where you are right now like a game or two out of wildcard position like that changes the calculus if you're the blue jays and you have like a four game lead atop the al east that's totally different that's all right let's go get some rentals like let's go for it and push in here but if you're like in this sort of murky middle with houston and the yankees and the angels are in there now and say the mariners surge I think you're looking more so for controllable pieces. Like Whit Merrifield's a good example of kind of a, like I I don't want to say he's a fringe player because he plays every day and actually it's been really important for this team, but he's not like a four or five win player, part of your core, like massive piece of this franchise. Um, You're looking for someone more so around the edges who you can control going forward, who you have some contractual control over in 24 and maybe even 25. Like the Whit Merrifield deal wasn't just about the last couple months of 22. It was about having him in 23 as well and having him doing what he's doing right now, playing a bunch of different positions and honestly over the last like three, four weeks being one of the better offensive contributors on this club, which says one thing about how well he's playing and another thing about how much some of the Blue Jays core pieces have been under producing. But I think that it'll look more so like that, the deadline. Like it, I don't know if people will find that underwhelming. Certainly you're not going to see like super sexy names coming to the Blue Jays. I don't think like, I think it will be much more so of the Merrifield Mitch White vein than like the Jose Barrios vein where it's uh you know, a more attention grabbing move. But I agree with you that the Blue Jays will be active at the deadline because they always are active yeah. at the deadline. This is something that they have shown us time and again. Yeah. It's not like they're not going to make moves. They'll make moves. Um, they need to, you know, it's a question really of how impactful they can be how surprising worst case you get someone who's kind of a bounce back candidate someone who's underperforming maybe there's something underlying that you like and you see if they can bounce back i mean certainly 
there are a lot of ways you can improve this team. I think starting pitching is the most obvious, and I know we'll get to the gap in their rotation right now. They just don't have five starting pitchers, so that's <laughs> a clear way to upgrade. You know, the the bullpen, I think there's always room to upgrade the bullpen, although the bullpen's actually pretty good, so I don't think that's like where you're going to give up your top, top prospects. And then they could use an outfielder. They could use a bat, someone who can hit, probably right-handed, probably an outfielder, could be a utility player, could be left-handed, but I think right-handed hitting outfielders are probably where you start that search if you're the Blue Jays. And, you know, on a team with a lot of veterans, on a team where, you know, Kevin Kiermaier, Brandon Belt, this is in the last week alone, before you even get to Whitmerfield or Chapman, this is a team with a lot of guys who are 30 plus and you need some insurance because after August 1st, that's it. Like, you know, you run out of chances to improve your team. So they also need a bat. Yeah, hey, say the uh, Seattle Mariners just like keep underperforming and fall out of it and decide to sell. They got a right-handed outfield bat. I think his name's Teoscar Hernandez. <laughs> He's going to be a free agent. You could trade for him. Well hit. Down the line. And it is gone. Right into the netting for a home run. And it's the second of the afternoon for Teoscar Hernandez. And then, you know, the Cubs as well, right? Like not things aren't really going well for them could you know they should likely be looking to to sell at the trade deadline they got a starting pitcher who's got this option his name's marcus stroman the pitch fires strikes out good high slider right there from marcus stroman to pick up his first just go trade for teoscar hernandez and marcus stroman you filled your rotation need you got your right-handed hitting powerful outfielder job done Hey, they'd be a better team with those guys. They they definitely <laughs> would be. Um, so, okay, but but as long as you mention them, do you think there's any chance? Because I'm Zero. sure our listeners are wondering right now. No. No, I think it's a much more likely chance that those two guys are New York Yankees on August 2nd than Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. And I think, so the price on Strowman will be high and should be high. And it's funny, you look back to the last time he was traded, Jays didn't really get much for him. You know, Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods-Richardson, and I know Woods-Richardson ended up uh, helping them acquire Jose Barrios. So, you know, that's that's something. You know, neither one of those pitchers really doing that much right now. But the Cubs, if they do trade Stroman and they could still extend him, they will be looking for a huge haul. That's probably out of the Jays range, I would think. Anthony Kay, another example of the the Blue Jays' failure to develop a Louis Varland type um, in recent years. We were talking about that a couple podcasts ago. Uh, Once again, the Blue Jays saw Louis Varland, who again like was not supposed to be a part of the Twins' rotation going into the year. Like that was their number six, number seven starter. That was their depth guy. Developed internally, college pick. I think like Division two college, like somebody who they helped get better and turned into not a star, not a Cy Young candidate, just like a capable big leaguer somebody who can like go out and give you 120 innings of like 4-2 ERA uh the Blue Jays haven't been able to develop that guy and Anthony Kay is another example along with your Thomas Hatch and your TJ Zoic and your Trent Thornton and like on and on of just pitchers who just the Blue Jays have not been able to develop into capable big leaguers uh it's been a big issue for this club before we go to the micro next couple segments of the podcast one last question on the macro and that is what do you think needs to happen between now and let's say like september 1st um for the blue jays to get back into postseason 
position for the Blue Jays to feel good about making the playoffs, aside from obviously going outside the organization on August 1st and, uh, you know, supplementing and adding and filling some of their holes. What do you think needs to happen between now and then for this club to be a realistic postseason contender? Yeah, which they need to be. I mean, this is this is prime Bo. This is prime Vlad. You've spent a ton of money, devoted a ton of resources. This is your your window. You have a lot of talented players. Already fired the manager. You got to make it. You got six teams, six spots. It's a good field, but you got to be in that field if you're the Blue Jays. So what has to happen? I think Vlad Jr. has to hit a lot more like an MVP candidate and a lot less like Whit Merrifield, who, again, good player. Vlad's producing offensively. He's a good offensive player. They need him to be more like a great offensive player. So, you know, that's where I would start. I would say continued health. Their health has actually been pretty good. They need continued health. They need Vlad Jr. to step up. You know, not to put it all on Vlad Jr., that's obviously unfair, but if we are going to look for, you know, what levers you can pull to make this team look a lot better than it has so far, yeah, it is guys like George Springer, who, again, you want to see more power. You you need to see someone kind of in beast mode if you're the Blue Jays. And, you know, aside from Bo, for the most part this season, they just haven't had that. Yeah, I think that either your best players have to be your best players. You have to get really like amazingly unexpected, nice stories from within, or ideally both. Uh, and so far, the Blue Jays have kind of had neither to an extent. Like, like Bo has been obviously great, uh, but as you mentioned, Vlad hasn't played up to his potential. Matt Chapman, after an absolutely torrid April, has like fallen off in a very significant way in, in the six weeks since. Um, and George Springer has like he's kind of done the inverse of that, where he had like a really poor April and has actually looked a lot more like himself over the last six weeks. But those two just kind of cancel each other out. So, yeah, at some point, the Blue Jays are going to need like their best players to be phenomenal and to be the best in the world. Or they're going to need some really good internal stories some surprises. We came into this season saying who are going to be the, the surprises on this team. Like as you look at it right now, Ben, like are you seeing any of those surprises? Any of those like really good stories? Any of those Ryan O'Hearns who come out of nowhere <laughs> to like power an offense? Oh, for a Ryan O'Hearn or two. Yeah, that's what that's what you need. <laughs> um yeah, I you know, I, I think like Jose Barrios to have him bounce back, that's great. Um Nate Pearson obviously you you have you have guys who are doing well, but not enough of them. And ultimately, the Jays have acquired what seems to be a really, really strong core of veteran established players. And for that to click, for this team to go where it should, you need those guys to collectively, it's not on one player, but collectively, this group of position players and pitchers, these veteran guys who are making you know, 20 million bucks a year, for example, 25 million a year, you got to step up and contribute and make a real impact. Totally. Uh, Let's take a closer look at at some of those guys on the pitching side, on the hitting side, and so much more when we continue on At The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It continues on at the letters Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson, Smith, and Ben, as you were mentioning earlier, the Toronto Blue Jays do not have five starting pitchers. Uh, they only have four, and they presently have a five-man rotation. So that means that there is a bullpen day regularly being run by this team. We've already seen it once, and uh, hey, went pretty well. 
If you combine Trevor Richards and Bowden Francis, their lines together, what they did uh, on Saturday when the Blue Jays like first ran this bullpen day, you get five and two-thirds innings pitched, three hits, one earned run. One walk, 10 strikeouts. Pretty good. Question now is, is that sustainable going forward? Can you expect that going forward? Can you put your bullpen in a position going forward and your manager and pitching coach, by the way, where they have to be thinking ahead to, well, we can't really use Trevor Richards here because we need him to start tomorrow. Or, well, we can't really throw Bowden Francis to mop up here because we need him to go three innings in a couple of days. What does this look like going forward? Yeah, I mean, is it sustainable? I think we all know it's not. And, you know, I think that there's a reason that when the 30 GMs are crafting their teams in the offseason and drawing things up, literally none of them are going to come up with a four-man rotation plus bullpen day configuration. It's it's so far from ideal. You know, at the same time, like, could it kind of work for a few weeks? I think it kind of could. It's not great. I mean, we saw it again on Tuesday after Chris Bassett really struggled, the Jays needed five innings from uh, their bullpen. And so they turned to a combination of Mitch White and Thomas Hatch and Bowden Francis. And those guys allowed three runs over five innings. So, you know, it kind of works. That's maybe a preview of what we would see on either Friday or Saturday, depending on how they stack things. I sort of presume it'll be Friday. I mean, I see no real reason to do it Saturday as opposed to Friday, but, you know, we can get into that. And, uh, yeah, so it, it can sort of work. I guess the, the trickle-down effect of this is if you're using, say, Trevor Richards as part of that combination, which they should because he's the best of those options, then it sort of means that you don't have Trevor Richards. So then somebody else has to step up into that role. And you don't have him for the day before. You don't have him for the day after. So it just it taxes some pretty good relief pitchers and it puts you in a position where you're asking too much out of a guy like Adam Simber and then boom some of these scores get lopsided late in games so let's just major in the minors really quickly uh when it comes to Friday v Saturday with the next bullpen day if you did it on Friday as you're suggesting you've then after that got two more games against the Rangers and then three against the Marlins without um an off day in there so if you did it on Friday you then would have to do it again on Wednesday in the finale against the Marlins so I could see the argument for actually throwing Kevin Gosman on Friday, doing the bullpen day Saturday, and then you've just got the final four games of the trip. That way, it's only one bullpen day over the next week rather than two. That's a good point. Let's actually shift. I'm going to go to Friday. Yeah, so it makes sense to have Gosman on Friday then because it spares the bullpen that extra time. Did he go? Yes, he did. Another strikeout for Gosman. That is five in a row. But the compromise here, and it's just sort of the bed that you've made, is that now Kevin Gosman is pitching on four days rest routinely. And look, it's Kevin Gosman. He's an ace. That's fine. But we've seen that he's a lot better when he has that extra day of rest so you're not really getting the benefit of that off day that you had leading into this three city road trip which like by the way against you know an Orioles team that has performed much better than the Blue Jays in the AL East this year against a Rangers team with an offense that's been gangbusters against a surprisingly good Marlins team next week at the end of this trip when the Blue Jays are going to be all road weary and tired and wanting to go home and kind of at their wits end so this is a 
challenging stretch for the Blue Jays that they're playing right now. And they're going to be asking their starters to go on four days rest, which is normal, which is fine, which plenty of teams do. But it would be a lot more optimal if you had a fifth starter who you trusted and you could have used the benefit of Monday's off day to buy everyone an extra day at this point in the season where workloads are are, are increasing. For sure. It is very far from optimal with Gosman in particular. You would rather give him that extra day. But as you outlined, if he's able to pitch on Friday, that gives the bullpen maybe a little bit more breathing room, even if it is asking more of him. Now, just a quick aside on the Marlins. Let's not put them on a pedestal. <laughs> like, I, And it's, I'm not saying that to, to you in particular. And they are in playoff position. I mean, they, they've done well so far. But I think what we've just witnessed is the best 68 games of the Miami Marlins season. I think they are about to go steeply downhill. They aren't good. They are way over their Pythagorean record. They have a negative run differential. They have two good offensive players in Jorge Soler and Luis Arias. Like, this is the Marlins, people. Like, let's, let's, let's not give them too much credit here. The Blue Jays should win this series. Ben, believer in the Orioles, uh, <laughs> not sold on the Marlins. No, they're not good. The Jays should win that series. <laughs> I'm going to put you down for that. Yeah, it's, you know, there's, we can enter any kind of series, any kind of stretch and say, oh, on paper, it looks this way. But like, it's baseball. It very rarely plays out the way you would expect it to. Like, baseball is just, it's just a weird sport. And where weird stuff happens and you just have to be used to that. Like, the Oakland Athletics are one of the worst rosters assembled in recent memory like i don't think that the oakland athletics could beat like the la dodgers double a team in a seven game series and yet they've won seven in a row and they just beat the 48 and 22 tampa bay rays twice consecutively uh while all the fans in their building are chanting sell the team so Baseball's weird, man. Weird stuff happens. The New York Mets have scored 5.25 runs per game over their last eight. So like over the course of 162, if you score 5.25 runs per game, you're one of the best offenses in the history of the sport, if not the best. Uh, They've scored 5.25 over the last eight, and they lost seven of those games. It's baseball's weird, man. Weird stuff happens. For sure. For sure. And like if the Blue Jays get swept by the Marlins, it's not like their season is over. These things can happen. Um, weird things happen in baseball all the time. I'm just saying, like, you know, there's no reason for the Blue Jays or anyone around the team to go into that series thinking that, oh, like the Marlins are really good. Because, yeah, I mean, they've played well, but again, they have just had their best 70 games of the season. It gets back to like what we were talking about in the first segment. And I like I get this question all the time. And I'm sure you do, too. And it's just some variation of are they going to win? Like, what's going to happen is essentially the question. And I I don't know, Ben. Like, I really don't know what's going to happen over the remaining 90 games or whatever it is. Go ahead. You look like you got something. I I just totally agree. You know, we we have no idea. This The Blue Jays legitimately could win the World Series. They could also miss the playoffs, and it could be really bad. We just have no idea. And neither of those outcomes would surprise me because this baseball and crazy stuff happens. But I I really don't know what's going to happen going forward. I know like what's likely and what's unlikely. I think it's unlikely that the Blue Jays win the AL East, extremely unlikely. But I do think there are like, I don't know, four to 6% of outcomes in which they do. So that means that I believe there's like a 95% chance that they don't. But there is still that little shred in which 
they do. And I'm prepared for that. Like it, it could happen. The Rays could collapse and like the Yankees could not get healthy and the Orioles could go away and the Blue Jays could surge. I wouldn't be surprised. I also wouldn't be surprised if, as you said, the Blue Jays suffer some like devastating injuries going forward and some of this underperformance continues and they don't have the depth to supplement it. And it's like the Blue Jays finish the season five games out of the third wildcard spot. I yeah. could also see that and I also wouldn't be surprised because like that's a totally possible outcome. What I think is most likely What's most likely going to happen, I'm not saying this is going to happen, what's most likely is they continue to ebb and flow. So they continue to have like eight and two stretches and three and seven stretches and like 12 and three stretches and four and 11 stretches. And they enter September somewhere around that third wild card spot, whether they're occupying it, mm-hmm. whether they're a game or two back of it, whether they're a game up on it somewhere around there and then the final 28 games in september whatever the number is is what's really decisive and they just need to perform a game or two better than the teams they are competing with for that second that third wild card spot over that stretch of september and then if they do that and they finish as a postseason team they likely go to target field or camden yards or yankee stadium for a three game wild card series where you're just essentially flipping a coin three times. I think that's what's most likely to happen. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I mean, honestly, that would make for a pretty compelling month of baseball. Like it would be, (laughs) it would be pretty memorable. It would be pretty dramatic. You know, that's kind of the model that Major League Baseball has created right here, where teams that are good, but not great, which the Blue Jays definitely fall in that category based on what we've seen so far. Teams that are good, but not great have really interesting seasons and have really wide ranges of outcomes. And honestly, like as an entertainment product, it's pretty good um, so far. Like it's, they're pretty interesting. I find them pretty compelling. And if this continues and if September is full of games against the Yankees and Rays with high stakes and full stadiums, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's pretty interesting. The only thing is like, it might not lead to a great, great outcome for the Jays. Um, so you got to be prepared for disappointment, but That's the case for 29 out of 30 teams in the course of a season. So being disappointed is part of the nature of being a baseball fan. And I'm not trying to sound negative in that. You have to find positives in the course of a season or else you're just (laughs) indulging in an exercise of self-flagellation. But, you know, I think that there is a likelihood for every team that you are going to end up uh, finding yourself, you know, on the outside looking in and someone else is hoisting the trophy. Yeah. And like as a fan, if you knew what was going to happen, well, then why would you watch? Like, why, what would be yeah. the point of all this if you know what's going to what's gonna happen? There's no point to it. So, yeah, I mean, those all those outcomes that you just outlined, like, pretty interesting to me. I'll talk about that. I'll write about that. Yeah, that sounds fun. That sounds interesting. That honestly sounds pretty compelling. That's something that I would like to follow. Um, it's very hard to pivot back to uh, bullpen days <laughs> <laughs> from this we tangent. We zoomed out too I, far. I know, but it was just kind of interesting no, no, to it's me good. to to follow that that road let me ask you one more question before we break and talk about the bats and it's kind of been rattling around in my head a little bit lately and that is like what is the upper bound limit of trevor richards how far 
could the Blue Jays push what they're getting from Trevor Richards? Because you see him go out and open a game and go three innings and like strike out seven of the ten batters he's faced. And I, I don't have it in front of me, but like double digit swinging strikes. I mean, Kevin Gosman didn't have double digit swinging strikes in his last start. And Kevin Gosman has one of the best pitches in baseball. Like we're talking about a guy with an absolutely elite changeup that hitters just cannot lay off of, despite the fact he never throws it in the zone. Like that is how good it is. Got him. Another chase on a change, and that's five consecutive batters he has struck out. Uh, this changeup has been ridiculous. This is as good as he's thrown it all year long with the depth, the movement, the velocity. Everything is really clicking for Trevor. How far could the Blue Jays push this? Could Trevor Richards throw four innings? Could he throw 60, 65 pitches his next time out? If the Blue Jays are really in a tough spot for that bullpen day, on the weekend like what or have the Blue Jays kind of reached that upper bound limit and they've got Trevor Richards like stretched pretty much as far as they they're going to want him to go I think they're close to it I think he could throw four if there's a game where he's through three innings on 38 pitches which we've seen before yeah you could throw him out there for a fourth I, I don't think you want to be in a position if you're the Blue Jays where you're sitting there counting on Trevor Richards to go four or five innings if it happens once or twice great and so in that sense i think there's a little bit more upside than what we've seen because he's now stretched out to about 50 pitches and you can conceivably get through four innings on 50 pitches if you're super efficient yeah i think we're close to the upper limit if he ends up being a guy who throws 90 innings for this team i mean what a what a great season that would be for richards what a weird season considering like where we would have put him entering it full credit to him what he's done is exceptional making that tweak of just ditching the breaking ball and becoming like a Devin Williams ask like change up 60% of the time kind of guy it's really worked for him you dig into it more and it's like well this is a pitcher who's he throws way more pitches outside the zone than in the zone like he has one of the lowest zone rates in baseball and one of the highest chase rates in baseball at some point does an opposition just kind of play the well you're going to get to four balls before you get to three strikes game and just yeah. lay off of everything and, and see if he walks batters. Or do they do the, we're zoning up like belt high. Anything belt up, okay, you can swing. Anything belt down, auto take. And like at, at some point, does that adjustment get made? And is that approach taken to him? And then how does it look when he's only a two-pitch pitcher having ditched the breaking ball like this is the thing trevor richards was a starter prior in his career he was a starter um with the marlins a little bit with the rays and there's a reason why he's not a starter anymore because he didn't have that third pitch and like matt bushman could not get him to develop this breaking ball last year to the point that the blue jays just ditched it um and now he's purely fastball change up but that, that's why i would question just how much further you could stretch trevor richards beyond the one trip through the order that you've already gotten him up to yeah, I think we're getting close to that limit. I mean, you wonder, and this is getting greedy, but you wonder, like, could he flip in a first pitch breaking ball for strikes on occasion? I mean, it's a big ass. These are major league hitters. You hang one up there, you might see it over the over the right field wall. So, you know, I, I think that's something to to keep an eye on. But it's interesting. And, you know, this is, this is maybe an example of the Zwelling Pro Scouting Department zoning in on a potential weakness, right? Like, and this is what teams would do if you get to a playoff series and it is the Orioles against the Blue Jays for the wildcard series. Pretty sure the Orioles, well, they, I'm not sure how big their pro scouting department is anymore, but I'm pretty sure the Orioles 
in some form or fashion, would identify the fact that Richards throws a ton of pitches outside the zone. Yeah, absolutely. And if the Blue Jays are at a point where they're starting Trevor Richards in a wild card series, once again, I would be very compelled by how we got to that point. <laughs> I would like to follow uh, that journey with this team. Uh, we're going to step away, but when we come back, we got to talk offense because it is one of the most confounding things about uh, this ball club. We're going to get into that when we continue on at the letters. Okay, Ben, some numbers for you. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays have a 265 batting average as a team on the season, second highest in MLB. They have a 334 on base percentage as a team, third highest in MLB. Their offense has produced a 111 WRC plus, fifth highest in MLB by batting average, by on base percentage, by weighted runs created, plus a top five offense, perhaps as good as top three. But the Blue Jays, in terms of converting that offense into runs, runs per game across MLB, 11th, 4.6 runs per game. Explain to me how a team can have a top three batting average and on base percentage, a top five weighted runs created plus, but a middle of the pack runs per game? Well, it's a great question. I I suspect you already are well aware of the answer to it. And many of our listeners probably are as well, but I will answer it. And I think that essentially it's small sample. It's noise. I mean, the Blue Jays have a very good offense. They have not performed as a very good offense, but really there is sequencing that goes into that um, that is not going to be predictive of what happens. So the Blue Jays are more likely to continue performing as a top five to seven offense moving forward, uh, maybe even better than that. And the numbers bear that out. If you look um, broadly across many, many teams and many, many years, the teams that do the best are the ones that have the highest WRC+. plus. Now, I still think they need more offense because this is an old group and there is not enough depth behind the starting nine. So there are questions around this offense, and I don't think it's beyond reproach. I think they need help. But the struggles with runners in scoring position, for example, it's just not predictive of what's going to happen. It's like we were talking about a few weeks ago with the Blue Jays being among the league leaders in left on base. Uh, To me, that's a good thing. Like To me, that correlates strongly with being a good offense, and that suggests that the Blue Jays will be will score a bunch of runs going forward. I think if you go back and you look at the left-on-base leaders from 2022, 2021, recent seasons, I think you're going to see a lot of Dodgers and a lot of Padres and a lot of really good teams at the top of those leaderboards. Like You don't really see a lot of bad teams up near the top of that statistic. So like I, I, I agree with you that sequencing is an issue um i think the misfortune with runners in scoring position is an issue those are things that i would expect to turn around in a big way you look at it the blue jays are bottom six in terms of batting average with runners in scoring position bottom four in terms of on base percentage with runners in scoring position bottom six in terms of slugging percentage with runners in scoring position so for one reason or another the club has not performed and taking advantage of those opportunities is that just dumb luck is that just 
noise rather than signal is that players trying to do too much in big moments um is that a lack of clutchness is that a combination of all of the above i don't know but when i see the process v the results i'm willing to bet on the process which means i'm willing to also potentially be wrong like these things could just continue for the rest of the season and it might just play out this way for the next three and a half months and we're sitting here saying like man that offense just never came around and it just never happened for them but just looking at how things have traditionally or at least how things have typically played out over the history of the game I'm going to bet on the club that is second in batting average, third in on-base percentage, fifth in Wade runs created plus coming out of this offensive funk. Yeah, for for sure, for sure. I think if the Blue Jays struggle to score runs from here to the end of the season, it'll be because they got hurt and their their, uh, questionable depth got exposed, not because the group of players that they have uh, as a starting nine or a starting 10, 11 players is inadequate in some way. And and I think there's some aspect of pressing, some aspect of expanding the zone. I think that's real. At the same time, that's not going to turn Vlad Guerrero Jr. into, you know, a, a completely inept hitter. It's going gonna, it's gonna to impact his numbers to some extent, but he's still, among many other players on this team, should be expected to be impact offensive players. Um, doesn't mean there aren't big questions around these guys individually and, and that there aren't ways to improve individually. But I think as a collective, this is a good offense. Um, maybe not quite as good as it was in years past, but it, it's a good offensive team. And like the inverse of this is the Orioles offense, which is performing very similarly to Toronto's in terms of batting average OBP, like all these stats I've been citing, very similarly in terms of slug even, but what they're doing is hitting much better with runners in scoring position, like all their stats with runners in scoring position, much, much higher. They have had much more timely hitting, like their top 10, in some cases, top five in most statistical categories, the runners in scoring position. That's why the Orioles are scoring 5.1 runs per game. They're scoring a half run more than the Blue Jays are. And I would expect those their runs per game to let like decrease. And I would expect the Blue Jays runs per game to increase over time um, because of the process and because of what we've been talking about. The Blue Jays have the fourth lowest strikeout rate in baseball this year. To me, like strikeout rate, walk rate, those are things that are predictive. Like those are things I'll take to the bank. And the fact the Blue Jays are striking out at a 20% rate, fourth lowest in baseball. That suggests to me like they're they're a good offense and that things are going to be better going forward. I think if we wanted to see a really big swing in the short term, it would be the power numbers coming back around because Luigi has been like middle of the pack and slugging percentage, home runs, like isolated power, like they're right around league average and all those. So if, say, George Springer wanted to hit like five home runs in two weeks, if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. wanted to have one of those months where he hits like nine home runs, um, if Matt Chapman wanted to rediscover the power stroke that we saw from him in April, that'd be big. We're sitting here on June 14th, and Bo Bichette leads this team in home runs with 14, uh, and Dalton Varsha was second with 11. Like, it's kind of strange to see guys like Chapman, Springer, Guerrero trailing those guys uh i think that's where the biggest swing can come from is just a few more homers uh particularly with runners on base because as john schneider is fond of saying it's really hard to defend the two and three run homer 
Yeah, some would say impossible, and um, <laughs> and they'd be right. Yeah, I think um, the Jays need some more of that. It's wild, right? You look at the the numbers there that you just cited: fourteen homers for Bo. So they have one player on pace for a thirty homer season. Like that's just that's not a lot when you consider the amount of um, talent and power and established hitters on this team. It's pretty wild. And then you think about okay, Kevin Biggio, okay, and he's he's probably the guy who stands to get more playing time when a guy like Brandon Belt is on the injured list. Kevin Biggio is the one who's who's in there. Now, has Kevin Biggio had a good offensive season on the whole? No. But does Kevin Biggio trail Vlad Guerrero Jr. in home runs by three? Three and one, and he hits it high and deep to right, and he's got another home run. Now he got the count in his favor, and he zeroed in on another one, Joe, and it's the same result. Yeah, he does. (laughs) It's that close. That's not what you want to see. You do not want to see a struggling Kevin Biggio three away from your franchise player in home runs. Now, obviously, there's a lot more to offense than that. Vlad Jr. keeps putting the bat on the ball, keeps getting base hits. That helps. He posts every day. He he plays, for the most part, good defense. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things he does well. But, yeah, you know, this is a team that needs some more power and they would really benefit from that and maybe Biggio can be part of that he's certainly connected for some huge swings in recent days um, with the three-run homer on Sunday and then the the pinch hit home run on Tuesday so trending in the right direction they could use that from Biggio they could use that from others as they move ahead here and the mistake people are making is saying, well, it's because of the subtractions. It's because they don't have Teoscar Hernandez anymore. Well, like Teoscar Hernandez has been a league average hitter this year. He has 11 home runs this year. As I just said, Dalton Varsho also has 11 home runs. So it's really a push. Uh, you lose Lourdes Gurriel Jr. He hit five home runs all of last season. It's not like he was the big slugger for the Blue Jays last year. He's had more this year, yes, but you haven't subtracted a ton of power in Lourdes because he wasn't like providing a ton of power last year. It really is to me like guys like Springer, Chapman and Guerrero, who are you looking to for more power? And I think that process is a big way of getting to power. It's swing decisions. It's what you're swinging at and what you're laying off of seen really good swing decisions from George Springer over the last six weeks. I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been inconsistent with his swing decisions, particularly pre two strikes. You get to two strikes and you got to kind of do what you got to do, right? You got to defend the plate. You got to expand your zone a little bit. You'd rather go down swinging than go down looking at like that pitch that's like shadow zone, a ball width off that some umpire rings you up on. Like you got to be aggressive on those. But pre two strikes, I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has not made great or he has he's been inconsistent, I'd say, in his in his swing decisions. And like Matt Chapman, who was making really good swing decisions in April, he's regressed a little bit in in that regard. And you're seeing him be a little bit in between. So I think that if Chapman and Guerrero can get their sort of consistency with swing decisions back up and back towards what we're seeing from George Springer lately, I do think that those players are going to get better pitches to hit. They're going to get themselves into more favorable counts. They're going to get more mistakes, more cookies. And I do think that they're going to punish them, but it just might take us some time to get there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you look at, at Vladdy in particular, um, he is expanding a little more swinging, a little more chasing you know just a tad more than you'd like but it's interesting i was looking at his numbers this morning as far as you know line drives ground ball rate fly ball rate those numbers are pretty similar to what we saw not last year but in 2021 when he hit 48 homers when he was an mvp finalist and the same applies to his strikeout rate is really good 
He's obviously drawing fewer walks. Pitchers aren't totally pitching around him the way they were a couple of years ago. Um, but it's interesting, and I don't know if you have an explanation for this one, but because I, I, I certainly don't. But you look at his percentage of fly balls that become home runs, and in 2021, it was 26.5%. So a quarter, more than a quarter of the fly balls that he hit became home runs. This year, that number is cut in half. It's 12.3%. So basically an eighth of the fly balls that he hits are becoming home runs this year. And we're looking now at a player who in his last month plus has two home runs. Set aside the home road stuff anywhere you're playing. The last month plus, Glad Jr. has only two home runs. So it's just kind of weird because he is getting base hits, but we're not seeing a lot of fly balls become home runs for Vlad. To me, that's more noise than signal yeah really maybe. like i i don't have an ex- a better explanation for it and if somebody does like send it my way i'm like i'm open to hearing it very open-minded to these things but i look at the stuff that i put value in so like expected weighted on base average and vladdy has improved dramatically from last season expected slugging has improved dramatically his hard hit rate is up by like six points his average exit velo is even up like barreling everything launch angles fine like everything looks good under the hood it's just not leading to results it's very similar to the blue jays offense because in a lot of ways as vladdy goes the blue jays offense goes because he's really their most talented hitter like him and bo bichette like those are their best hitters so if those guys are going to perform at elite levels blue jays offense is going to perform at an elite level um if those guys are gonna scuffle and slump blue jays offense likely to scuffle and slump so i just look at all the process stuff all the indicators all the under the hood stuff with lad and i'm still in the same position i was in two weeks ago three weeks ago four weeks ago where i'm like i'm just waiting for it to break out because yeah what we've seen from similar hitters or from you know from from people who have put up numbers like this in the past is that it does come around and that the numbers do follow i just can't tell you exactly when that's going to happen yeah, because, you know, you do look at the uh, those numbers. Like, they do tell the story of a really good hitter. You look at the most barrels in Major League Baseball. Like you said, the launch, it's not that he's hitting everything into the ground. The launch angle is pretty good um, for Vladdy. So, yeah, I think I tend to think that better results are coming and that he is probably going to turn a corner and have a stronger finish to this season. I do think that there's an aspect of this where it's been a grind for Vladdy the, this last month or so to only connect for a couple home runs. So I don't think that being in that headspace probably helps, but he's a very, very talented hitter. Um, this isn't the first time he's he's gone through some sort of slump at the major league level, and he's come out of it before, and I would certainly expect that to happen again. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. lines one to deep left field, and it's gone. Home run number nine on the season for Vladdy. If anything, like I would tell the Blue Jays to follow what Dalton Varsho has been doing lately, very quietly, Dalton Varsho has been a really strong hitter for the last two weeks, three weeks. Similar to Whit Merrifield, like those two guys have been really sound, and we're probably not talking about it enough. Definitely not with Whit enough. Like that guy has actually been really legit for a while now. But with Varsho, I look at some of the stuff under the hood that he's done for the last couple of weeks. I don't have the current numbers. I pulled them for the broadcast on the weekend, but they would be similar to this point. Like he cut 10 points off his chase rate. Um, like he was expanding way less. He was whiffing way less 
less than he had been. Um, and that was really showing up in his power numbers in a very meaningful way. You saw the isolated slugging go up, the OPS go up. And obviously, when you're whiffing less and chasing less, the K rate went down by quite a bit. So I, I've been really impressed with like with his process and his approach over the last few weeks. So I would say, you know, for any Blue Jays hitters to look at what Varsho is doing and try to emulate that because I do think that that stuff leads to results over time. Yeah, and Varsho continues. I mean, he's he's having those great results and just continues doing. I know it's such a broadcaster, baseball writer cliche, but he really does do the little things really well. <laughs> there still continues to be that focus, um, that intensity that he brings. Um, his OPS plus for the season, I believe, is 99 as we record this. So he's been a league average hitter. Who's playing great defense, running the base as well. So Varsho certainly looking like a, a really good piece for this Blue Jays team as they move ahead. Yeah, I think I, I said it before and I'll say it again. Like Dolan Varsho is a guy you want on your team. Oh, yeah. In in a lot of different ways. And uh, Ben, I'm glad we found a way to round out with uh, something positive here. And was like a little bit of a, a dour stretch for the Blue Jays here. It'll be interesting to see what we're talking about next week after this uh, after this road trip and how things kind of go through Texas and Miami. Like I remain open to being surprised. Like I think most realistically, the Blue Jays go like four and five on this trip and are like, yep, we're we're okay with that considering the quality of competition and like what our grind our schedule has been like recently. But if they came out of it six and three, I also wouldn't be that surprised either because baseball's a crazy game. If they sweep the Marlins, you heard it here first. <laughs> That's right. He's Ben Nicholson Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. You can email us at the letters at sportsnet.ca. I want to thank you all for listening as always, and we'll talk to you next time on at the letters. <laughs> <laughs>